Nicole Brandon, and welcome to Hourglass Bride. We have such a special and such an extraordinary show for you today. We have Valentine's approaching us, and so many of you have written in, and whether you're longing or waiting or wishing and wanting for someone special in your life or you're in a relationship and you're hoping that this is the time that somebody will propose or you've been married 25 years and you want to deepen your intimacy, this is usually the time of the year when we focus on the heart and our passion and our dreams. Well, today's guest is Steve Zellers, and his method of dating has helped thousands of people around the world by removing the root cause of suffering in relationships. Imagine if you could remove the root cause of suffering in relationships. He works on the mindset and he shares a skill set that when we talk about bringing you the tools and the keys and the techniques to have that happily ever after, Steve really teaches you how to do that. It's a methodology that anyone can implement into their daily lives. He helps marriages, people end relationships that aren't working. He inspires people to live happy, more fulfilled lives. And I am so excited today to talk to Steve Zellers. His company is Dating Differently, and he also has Authentic Dater. And I'm just overjoyed to have somebody who has so much heart, so much wisdom, and so much knowledge and shares just so beautifully his gifts and his talents today on Hourglass Bride. Steve, welcome to this show. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Oh, it's such a joy to have you here today. And this is really the time of the year where so many people are focused on the heart and on love. And I guess my first question, I always love to ask our guests, that the did you know factor. When you were a small child, when you were six and seven and eight, were you calming relationships? Were you making things in your house easy for other people? Has this been a skill that's been inside of you, or is it something that somehow you grew into or something flipped and changed your life that stepped into this world? I love that question. I think if you if we work backwards from where we are today, the things that have transpired throughout our lives are the things that make us the person that we become. So I'm trying to pinpoint a time where I thought, hey, I want to make a difference in people's love lives. And it really was only about five years ago that I decided to do this and kind of break out of corporate America. Uh, But it is a result of what I said earlier about really looking back at those points in your lives where, okay, at that age, this happened so that I could learn what I know now, and then that developed into another understanding, and eventually you get to this point where you're like, I just have this burning desire, this mission to help change the world in this way. I love that. What a beautiful answer. And, I mean, when babies cry, they just want to be held, and I know that, you know, I have two little dogs, and one sits at my feet, and she will cry and cry until I pick her up. <laughs> so I know that longing just to be loved. And so when do people find you? Do they come to you because they say, I can't find my soulmate or my dream, or do people come to you because it's not working and their heart is stuck? Or at what point of the maze do they turn around and there is Steve? <laughs> You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't say there's one point. I say it's a lot of points. Some of the ones you said, plus that point where you just say, not another day, not another minute. Um, you know how I think in AA or Weight Watchers, people can really tell that moment because in AA they say, well, we're going to take your driver's license and put you in jail if you drive again under the influence. And in Weight Watchers, they say, uh, people will often say, um, I saw this one picture of myself, and at that point, I knew I was not going to do anything else but get in there. And in dating, it's really hard because there's not a rock bottom. Uh, we have those moments after a breakup, or we have those moments where uh, we're really frustrated, or we're just lonely, or like you said, just longing, and that's not rock bottom. And you know, our friends and our family will always tell us what we want to hear because they just want us to be happy, and they just love us. And so what inspired you to start, I mean, dating differently? Because, first of all, I love the name. I love the title. I went to your website, and it's one of the best websites I've ever been to. I just went there, and it makes you feel good. As soon as you open up, you go, ah, this is going to be great. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you. Well, uh, Dating Differently has been around probably four years. And it was part of it because Authentic Dater wasn't resonating with the people I was trying to reach because there was a little bit of education on the front end. Um, Dating Differently is basically saying, if it's kind of the definition of insanity thing that everybody just says this cliche all the time, but if what you're doing is not working, you got to try something different. To do the same thing over and over, expect different results, is just crazy. That's so true. It's absolutely, I mean, and I, everybody can relate to that. And I know that you have a 30-day dating differently challenge. And so how does that work? How do you share with somebody their ways or their steps to really be able to change your life and be able to have that happily ever after? Well, the easiest way I could explain it without having actually set foot in one of those workshops uh, for people who are listening is actually taking that time. And you know when you turn off your cell phone and you're actually focused in and you're very present and you're with another group of people on the same mission, you can actually listen to what's possible. And so we begin to help you paint that picture And we bring a lot of tools and a lot of awareness to the forefront so that people can grab onto the tools they can use right now. So it's not one system that's, you know, follow these steps exactly like this, but I think love is an art and a science, and it's only within each individual. So if I go to a workshop and I'm given a lot of tools and exposure to a lot of people on the same mission, I have the opportunity to grab onto what's going to work for me. And so we do it in modules, and if I was going to just really high-level it, I would say the first module is authenticity and clarity, to get really clear on who I am, why I'm doing this, what do I want my end results to be, as well as who can help me along this mission. And so part of this process is building a support and accountability team similar to I talked about AA and WW earlier. This is DD. So I guess it's all double letters. Um, But the process, (laughs) the process has a lot of authenticity, a lot of self love in it. There's a lot of healing in it because um, without going deep into this, I know you, I studied your website and what you do. And you're very into the healing and the spiritual side of where are some of those wrong turns when we were younger that weren't even necessarily ours in our programming so that we have these limiting beliefs that keep us stuck where we are for a really long time. And we bring those into our marriages or dating, and then we get bad results. And then we keep on having what I call relationship groundhog day because until that initial damage is healed or at least you have coping mechanisms for it, it's going to keep happening over and over and over again. Okay, I'm so glad you said that because we have people in our audience that are listening right now that have been married two, three, four, five times, and they're looking for a relationship now or they're in a relationship right now that they're hoping this one will stick. So how does one prevent that perpetual groundhog day in a relationship and those same issues coming up over and over and over again? Good question. I'm going to say that it's totally an individual sport. So one formula doesn't work for everyone, but I'll say a big, broad formula that if you start with this, you're going to come up with a solution that will work for you. Mm. And I would start it by saying, you know, there are lots of people who are healers out there, and there's thousands of different ways to do it. You know, you've heard of Reiki and NET. Uh, There's just a ton of these different things that people have tried. And I'm not going to say there's a particular modality that will work for everybody. Uh, But find the one that works for you. Uh, But also meditation and being really clear on, you know, letting yourself be still and listening to your own intuition. You can find a lot of these things and you know where they are. Journaling is also a great way to get clear on what are those things that may be stuck in my subconscious, which I know you teach this as well, so we can talk about subconscious. These are the things that continue to be triggered by other people, 
And we don't know why, but whatever that other person did really bothers me so bad that I transfer the anger that I feel from their stimulus and my reaction to it onto that person. And it all happens instantaneously. So we actually think we're mad at the person and we are upset with that person and we don't know why. And it's those subconscious injuries. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're talking about subconscious injuries because we have people that are listening to this show and, you know, you can all breathe here for a minute, but that um, have been raped or abused emotionally, spiritually, physically. And the learning to trust love again is huge. The allowing to be loved, the allowing to go there and to to feel worthy of love. And so is that part of the subconscious journey as well that you work with? Absolutely. The uh the part where we have to learn to trust other people starts with us because we blame ourselves for every relationship that never worked out. We hold it against ourselves for trusting somebody who hurt us. And really, that's holding me back from doing it ever again. I, if I don't trust myself to make a good decision, how can I ever trust another person? Mm, that's brilliant. Absolutely. And what about those? I know that I was reading in your bio that you rescue marriages and you save marriages as well. And so when people feel like, I just can't take this another day, I just can't be here another second, or they're not listening to me, or they're not paying attention to me, or I'm invisible. And so how do you step into those fields? Okay. Um, I will say the best divorce is the one that never happens. And if I get folks coming... That's a great answer, Steve. (laughs) If if I get folks to come into me, I mean, at some point, they fell in love enough to say, I forsake all others for you. And most psychotherapists, if they got to their office, they would say, hey, let's get you back to the beginning. And what were those feelings and what were those things that they complimented you and what made your life better because they're in it? And getting people to do kind of some regression to get back to the beginning of the relationship. Um, that's fine. But... The first place I would start is get people to go and deal with their own individual subconscious injuries first. And it's not a super long journey. It's not something that takes years and years and years to do, depending on the modality you choose to deal with it. But if both people go after those those things and do their healing, uh, and we can talk about this later in the talk if you like, but... I think that's the best place to start a relationship before things get physical is the healing part. Mm. If we all could do that, that what a wonderful world. But so if we could all just reach out and heal each other. I mean, it's just it's such a beautiful thought and such a beautiful stream of consciousness. And I love that you start with the self. And so I'd love to talk about this time of year because this time of year has a lot of disappointments and a lot of longing and a lot of pangs and a lot of heartache. And then it also has a lot of lust and passion and people propose at this time, you know, more people propose on Valentine's or in the holidays and they want to make this special. And so can you talk a little bit about Valentine's Day and a day that you are supposed to be able to be with a beloved or share your love. Well, I might surprise you on this one. You know, it's part of the reason why it's called Valentine's Day is there was a saint. And it's actually more of a tragedy story than it is a love story. But uh, like many of our holidays, it is in the place that it's in because of it fit in the the Roman calendar uh, in that place. And usually they're replacing a, a pagan holiday with a Roman holiday with the church, Catholic church, from where they their whole calendar that we use now come from. But I want to speak to that longing because what that is, is it's kind of like ghosts in our limbic system. Um, there's three main parts of the brain. 
and the limbic system holds those emotions that came that we had when we were in those loving relationships and it doesn't shut off just because the person is gone so that's where the longing comes from and if we think of it as they're just they're still brain impulses and they're memories if we think of it that way it's a little easier uh, the danger is when we go looking for another person to replace that because, oh, I know I'm capable of all this love. Now I need to go find a new person to give it all to. If we're not in a healthy place, that's a dangerous thing to do because then you, you're going to get yourself into two and three. And some people are 12 relationships deep without ever doing the healing part. And then we know that hurt people hurt people, and it's just a cycle. That's the negative side. Now, to answer what you said about, you know, the love part and the, wow, this is such a beautiful time of the year, it's kind of interesting because I think we're, we're right before spring. And I think that's, it's kind of like uh, when grass starts to grow in your yard and you start to see the buds on the, on the leaves and it's like, oh, everything's coming alive. And I really think that it's kind of like the precursor to spring is why people have that feeling this time of year. We're coming out of the dead winter. But I want to talk, too, about the the chemicals in our brains called dopamine and serotonin. That is what people generally confuse with love, that and the butterflies in the stomach. We actually all naturally produce dop- dopamine and serotonin all the time. And we see another person with our eyes, and because of this primitive part of our brain that tells us what we think is attractive – when we see it, we release our own dopamine and serotonin, creating those feelings of attraction or infatuation, and it's more lust than it is love. I'm so glad that you just said that because that was one of my questions for you as well, is that I have a friend of mine, and he moved to America, and he's just learning English. So he asked me all the time, you know, what's the difference between tiny and small and small and petite? What's the difference between risk and fear? What's the difference between street and avenue? And, I mean, just sick and ill. And and he asked me the difference between huge and hug. <laughs> so there's a huge difference between huge and hug. <laughs> tiny, small, petite, you know, I didn't think about those. But the difference between love and passion or love and lust when we think we're in love and it's something else. Can you talk on that? Sure. Well, let's let's go to the meaning-making that we do, all of us as individuals. Uh, we, there may be eight, 8 billion people on this planet, but each one of us has our own universe. <laughs> I love right? that. <laughs> we, we create meaning from stimulus. Whatever happens to us, around us, um, our friends and our family, and all the programming that we pick up as we are little tiny kids, and even in the womb, there's there's things to pick up. Uh, if the mother is stressed, the baby actually picks that up, and it affects their health potentially. Um, but as we are growing up, we are constantly picking up these stimuli, and we're making meaning from it. And, uh, you know, your friend who has the language challenge, good luck, because English is a tough language when it comes to all those differences between small words um, more than most languages from what I hear from people who have multiple languages that they know. But uh, the difference between love and lust, it depends on your meaning that you have for it. Lust, most people would agree is, you know, I don't know anything about that person, but they turn me on. Or the connection that I feel when I'm close to this person is so hot, I can't stop myself. I have to, you know, be physical with them if that's available and it's mutual. Love is something I think different. Uh, there are a lot of definitions, everything from the Greek agape, which is friendship and, you know, the kind of church love that you have for your church family, all the way up to eros, which is, hey, let's do this. Uh, we're getting physical right now because I can't stop myself and everything in between. Love by my definition, is giving, and it's a feeling of you don't feel love unless you're actually being loving. You're not 
expecting, you're just giving. And to me, that's more love than what most people would put their definition out there. Like, well, if you love me, then I love you. Or, well, I loved you. Where's my love back? Love is giving without any expectation. And when you find two people who can do that for each other, and they're responsible for filling their own glass, and both are overflowing to each other, that is my picture of what love is. Did I lose you there? You did for just a second. I, mean, I had a technical glitch, which I always love. Whenever that happens, I always think the energy is so strong in the universe that it bursts the court. <laughs> That's hey, it's it's possible. Absolutely. Do, do you know where I cut off? I don't. But do you want to share with me what you were just saying? I will jump back in. I know the producers will be typing like mad, like right now. So, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh my goodness but i know that you were sharing we were talking about the chemical balance and the difference between lust and love when we have that passion and how all of a sudden you were saying when you're with somebody and you want to be physical with them and you automatically go into that place yeah well it's it just is natural and it's instinctual it's like a it's a couple of animals who can't speak, but they're definitely speaking each other's language when you get to that. And then after that, I was I was kind of talking about more what love is to me because we all have our own meetings. And for me, love is a giving thing. And it's unconditional. And only when we're in a space of being loving can we give it. It doesn't have a lot of expectations of it coming back. And I think that's one of the meanings that has been really, I think, taking over people's minds as far as what love means. And I think it's largely a function of marketing. You know, if you watch some of these commercials, every kiss begins with K. I'm sorry for that plug they just got, but that's not love. That's jewelry. Yes. And I think love's been hijacked. Um, Sometimes we think we're in love when we see someone we're attracted to. Or you hear this question all the time, oh, do you believe in love in first sight? Well, uh, I, I believe in lust at first sight. That's very possible. But love at first sight is how could you know what you love about that person besides their external beauty? Why do you think, Stephen, it's so difficult for somebody to say, I love you? Why is it hard for people to say, I love you? I'm going to say because they're not loving themselves first. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have it, there's there's nothing on the cupboard. You can't give it to anyone else. Are you familiar with the... Am I familiar with? The Four Agreements, the book by Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh, absolutely. He's a dear friend of mine, yes. Awesome. Well, in his in his book, there's a chapter, I think it's six, that's about the magic kitchen. And if our approach to love is I I have it all. I give it to myself. I you know, I cook in this kitchen for everyone for free and I don't charge. Um but if we start to get away from that then we don't have it to give anyone else. And we need somebody else to give us something before we have anything for anyone else. Mm-hmm. So the responsibility, yeah. the responsibility for having that unconditional love kitchen is mine and each individual's. Well, I love on your website when you say that dating, a dating life that you love starts way before you meet that other person. I think that was my favorite line because we don't think about that it starts beforehand or even that there's any self-work to do before we meet someone. We're sort of like the Pac-Man people. 
you know, going along, <laughs> just eating everything in her way. <laughs> I'll gobble this, I'll gobble that, I'll gobble. Where's the next one? Where's the next one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually, thank you for bringing up that point, because I think being single is one of the greatest opportunities that's out there. People have a humongous opportunity to grow, to learn, to contribute to themselves, to their family, to their community, to their country. You don't have, I mean, a really good, solid relationship requires a lot of time and attention and effort and presence. And if you are not in one of those relationships at this moment, then you've got a huge opportunity to have all of that growth and all of that learning that really you don't, you wouldn't have the time for it because you're in a relationship, a really good relationship. A lot of times people are thinking, well, what would the other person want for dinner tonight before I think about what I want? Or you're thinking of it at the same time. It's a dual thinking process like, oh, well, I'm not just thinking of myself. I'm, I'm thinking for both of us. That's, most healthy relationships do that. And as a single person, you don't have to do that. You're really working for yourself in that situation. That's funny. We had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, and he was a really high statistic. I'd have to look it up to see what it is, but it was like 87% or something, and I'm sure that I'm in the right ballpark of people, like everywhere, people by 4 o'clock in the afternoon have no idea what they're going to have for dinner that night. And he said, people don't know what they want. And it was a crazy statistic. But we pulled people. We had people calling in and people were like, that's true. You know, I never know what I'm you know, going to have that evening. And so unless it's like a plan that you're catering or something like that or cooking a set meal for somebody. And so just the idea that we don't know what we want or what we're looking for. And somebody is asking here a question, is there a type? Like, does somebody really like brunettes or blondes or are they like somebody with hazel eyes? Do people fall over and over and over and over and over again for the same type? Well, I would say that there are some things that people look for in general. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chinese face reading or seen any of this. No. But... There, there's literally – everybody's heard of this magic ratio, Marilyn Monroe and Twiggy, and everybody had the 1.3, 1 to 3 or something like that. Um, those, are, those are actually cues from all the way back to prehistoric times because people are looking for somebody who's healthy. And it's a little different in different cultures, but it's how far apart your eyes are, how, you know, how tall someone is, uh, and it's different for men and women. Because women, a lot of times, the first thing a woman is always looking for in general is security. So if a guy is taller than her, that makes her feel safe because he's physically imposing. And if you've ever been on any of these sites, any dating sites, it's they, women are always sounding like they're being discriminatory towards guys because they have a minimum height requirement, even though they're nowhere near 5'10 or 6 foot. Um, that is a type is tall, right? Yes. And then for men, this is, it's, I don't want to sound sexist, but this is, men are just flat out. They're looking for somebody who's very physically attractive and height weight proportionate. It's, that's always the requirement for guys. That's amazing. I remember reading it, once that, one of the attractive features like way back from like the painters, you know, in the Rubenesque times is that men look for women with rosy cheeks. <laughs> because they look well, back healthy. then it was seen as a, a sign of health. And if a woman was way overweight, it meant that she was rich. Really? Wow. That's that during the Renaissance. That was why you see all those paintings like that. Which, that's interesting, too, that nudity was seen as art back then, and now it is seen as either obscene or, you know, risque, when even way back when people got in big trouble for even looking at someone the wrong way, it was seen as art. Well, it's funny as you travel in different countries. I mean, in other countries, people are 
body free and body beautiful and you can go into a spa where there are men and women and children, whatever, and, and people think nothing of it. And here we have so many limitations in the United States and I know people are listening. Those of you that are listening from Malta and South Africa and those of you that are out there all over the world, this does not necessarily apply to you and if anything, bravo to you for being able to be free and trust in yourself and in the world. But it's interesting the limitations that we put on ourselves and our own fears and our own failures and our own foibles of our body image. Mm-hmm. Well, here in this country, I think we started off very purita- puritanical and it was seen as very negative if you showed anything more than your wrists in kind of the Quaker times and starting on our 13 original colonies. But the birthday suit is what we came into this earth in. And it's not it's not dirty. And I think it's actually been turned against us now. In this country, it's used in marketing. Um, it doesn't matter what you're selling now. If you're, try, if you're trying to reach a male audience between 18 and 35, you would use a photo of a really attractive woman. And that's what you're going to use no matter what your product is. Because it gets that's people's awesome. attention. I have, I have a friend of mine who lives in Germany, and he considers his body perfect just ever since he was a little kid. You know, he's just been very happy with who he is. And he thinks that his naked body is would make anything more attractive. He would stand in front of the Mona Lisa naked and think it's a better photograph because he's in it naked. Like, he's just... <laughs> and the body confidence is amazing. And just to see somebody with that stamp or that imprint of virility or... or safety or trust in who they are and confidence in who they are that carries so differently than somebody else that has all these fears and these, you know, whatever that is. And so I, you know, I love that we're talking about this. And I've got a question here somebody is asking about greeting cards. Okay. So is it important to write what's in your heart to someone or is it better to share it with somebody where if you do not get a greeting card, should you feel unloved, unworthy? <laughs> well, I think the person who asked that probably knows the answer is a card is not, does not add to your self-esteem or it's here's okay. You just hit on a really big nerve for me. Valentine's day can be, if we're not careful, a referendum on a relationship. Ooh, so, okay. A good relationship does not need a frilly card on that day. Now, is it a good idea for a guy to get one so that it doesn't turn into a referendum? Yes. But isn't that kind of a form of blackmail by Hallmark? Mm. And what if you have somebody like a secretary or an assistant, male or female, that shops for you, that says, oh, it's your husband's birthday or your wife's birthday or it's Valentine's, and and they just auto-order, and so it doesn't come from you. Then that's pretty personal. I, I would, if I was doing that as an executive, I would say, find me three, three different types, and I'll choose from them, and then you can return the other two or save them for, you know, another occasion. But uh, I don't. To me, this is a pretty personal one because you're going to write something in there, and ideally, a Valentine's card does not just you don't just sign it and act like everything the card says is what you're saying to the person. I would really hope that people would write a nice paragraph of how what they are actually feeling, uh, in addition to whatever the card says on it. Mm. It's these are such great answers, and we have a question about children. So when someone has a newborn baby or when there are children involved and all of a sudden somebody's love goes from their partner to their kids. Oh. So, so what's the question? So they're asking about the still making your partner feel special or how do you maintain love or how do you let somebody know you love them when you are... I guess boggled down would be my interpretation of what they're saying here. 
with their children or uh, paying so much attention to details with their kids that their partner feels shadowed? Well, I'll answer that one a little scientifically because we mentioned the uh, the love chemicals earlier, and the strongest one of them is oxytocin. And that is also known as the bonding chemical. And when you're dating before kids, all the oxytocin is between the couple. That's the bonding. But when there's a baby, you've got postpartum, you've got oxytocin, which is stronger between the mother and the child than it is between the mother and the father. And so it's going to take some real maturity from that man to understand that the strongest love in the world is actually between a mother and her child. And it's, he's, he's actually become second. I, I hate to say that out loud because it's something I've believed for a long time, but um, when there's a, a baby, that situation creates itself, and it's oxytocin, especially soon after the birth. Mm. So, so from a man, it requires a lot of maturity, and it requires understanding of that situation. And unfortunately, especially in our country, I think it ends up in not I'm not going to say that creates the divorce, but it begins a divide that makes some resentment that eventually builds up to what could be a divorce if we're not careful. And so then how do you stay on that path and how do you make your partner feel cherished and loved and how do you know that you need to do that? Well, it's it's kind of a vow thing. You know, you you promised and you swore in front of God and every person you know that this is the one. And it includes all the ups and downs, including this chemical imbalance right now that makes her way closer than to you. So you're responsible for the commitment that you made, even though you may not be getting everything you expect or everything that you thought was automatically yours. Um, that love begins to it split, and it's not gone. It's just the the newness of the mother-child thing is it takes over, and it's she's not doing it because she doesn't care about you. So you can't pull back your love for that reason. You got to be, you got to pour it on. Actually, I think would be the smarter thing to do. I like that you have to put your love on. That's just such a beautiful way to think about it. We had a. Reverend John Ireland on, who marries celebrities, you know, Fergie, whatever, Ozzy Osbourne. He's just, he's amazing. And one of the things he said when he was on the show, he said, a vow is not a compliment. I like you. I think you're sexy. Instead <laughs> <laughs> a vow is a commitment. What are you willing to do? <laughs> yeah, now that I've given you that, what are you going to give me? <laughs> So I love what you're sharing. I think that's so special and it's so wonderful and it's so true as we search for love. And then uh, we have one here on online dating, finding love. What do you think about online dating sites or singles groups? And That's a great question. Yeah, I love that question. We're So what I would like to say about online dating sites, matchmaking sites, setups, uh, meetup sites, any of that, they all work. And it sounds weird from somebody who's a dating expert, but every single one of those works. But I'll give you a caveat. You have to do the work before any of those are going to work. Mm. So I love that they all work. I mean, how inspiring for all of you out there in the audience today as we step into Valentine's. Steve is saying they work. And I know that oh. they do. I mean, one of my favorite things on the commercials is they have for several of the sites, have you ever met somebody who met that way? And they're like, yes, you know, John, Fred, Susie, whatever, you know, Mary, and they go through, and have you tried it? No, and why not? And I know that we've had several experts on that have talked to us about how to create a profile or how to whatever that is. And, but I, you know, the most important thing is what you're sharing right now is that you have to be a whole and complete person before mm-hmm. you go on that site. And then a lot of people, and I hate to say this, but um, I'm just going to jump this in and, and sort of get your opinion and advice on this, are not truthful on their profile. 
because they think that if they write something else, then somebody will love them instead of sharing the all of who they really are. That's a very good one, too. Uh, people tend to write what they wish they were, and they hope that this other person will inspire them to be the absolute best version of themselves, even better than they are. I call it the third foot, because you know how you're trying to put your best foot forward and you only have two? <laughs> so, uh, also called the representative. This is not me. This is my representative. And so then what happens when you meet somebody and you are not, let's go back to your first authentic dater, when you are not your authentic self? So what happens is even subconsciously, whoever the person that has been given false information, even just the perception of false information, and usually they lie about ages or that picture being 10 years old and it's, it is, that that is starting off with a lie and it's you can't really fix that because before we ever met in person you told me something that wasn't true and now i find out it, it the truth and so how can i trust you to tell me the truth about anything else is what people are saying subconsciously it's so wonderful when you say that because so often that happens and, and people do put pictures that are not only of themselves, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but of their friends. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. This is who I am and this is what I look like. And then you show up with that person and hoping that that person will then see you and still in person want to pursue you or meet you. And so many entanglements happen and we've had callers talk about this and so I think it's such a wonderful thing for you to say that you don't want to start with a lie that you want to start with your clean authentic self and when you're working with people I know you work in groups and I want to ask you about your upcoming workshop and you work individually how do you until the onion or uncover the layers or how do you work with somebody so not only that they are presenting and becoming their authentic self but that they're confident enough to present that authentic self to somebody else? Ah, Well, the confidence is the most important thing, and it comes from being authentic and knowing that you're not trying to sell somebody a bill of goods. Um, a, a bad salesperson tries to sell somebody something. A good salesperson lets someone buy from them. So you were talking about unpeeling the onion. I'm going to say... Generally, chop the onion. Um, not on the first date. Don't tell them all about your exes and your politics and you know certain other things that should be taboo the first couple of dates. But go ahead and go ugly early on yourself. And that phrase, go ugly early, has been used for other things, but I'm repurposing it. Uh, that is going to be tell somebody something that you've been broken up with before. Tell them something that somebody else has held against you before because you can't say the right thing. You can't say the wrong thing to the right person. If they're the right person, then nothing you say is going to, is going to really throw it off kilter. So, Can you say that again? Because it's such a beautiful statement, Steve. Well, I think that you can't say the wrong thing to the right person because it's not just being your authentic self. And really being able to radiate that, there's a timing factor also. So if both people are in a healthy place and it's the right time, that's when it happens. And because you can meet a great person and a healthy person, two healthy people, just wrong timing. So if you tell them these probably overly honest things about yourself early on, the right person is not going to hold it against you. And and I hate to quote Dr. Seuss, but I will. Uh, those that mind don't matter, and those that matter don't mind. <laughs> and so how do you know when you're saying two healthy people could be the wrong timing? How do you know if it's the right or wrong timing? It's like Chinese jump rope. It, it is, and, and that's why you've got to stay in this state of readiness. You have to be cons consistently and constantly 
generating your own self-confidence and your own love for yourself so that when the right person comes along, you can overflow to each other. Um, it's not an ebb and flow of, well, I think I'm ready for a relationship. I'm going to try to ramp this up, and then I'll be out there looking because that's when you fail. But it's it just this is what most happy couples will tell you. It just happened. I was happy with me. And they were happy with them, and we came together, and it, was, it wasn't it was 0.5 plus 0.5 equals 1. It was 1 solid plus 1 solid equals 3 or 1,000. It's exponential when both people are full. Mm. Boy, is that rich. That's wonderful. I just got this image of these balloons just floating. <laughs> it just... <laughs> feels so wonderful, just fills you up. And I know that you have some upcoming workshops, and so I'd love to know about that and how people can work with you because I just love your work. Well, thank you, Nicole. I, we, uh, we're we going to do this virtually. This will be the first time that we're going to do it virtually. I've done a lot of what I've done have been live workshops, and I have been really getting it to a point where it's ready to reach out much bigger than my geography here in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. So uh, it's really easy to go and, and be a part of this. Just go to datingdifferently.com, and if you click on any of the buttons on there, well, first it'll explain it to you the way that you know it now. But if you click on any of the buttons, it'll just ask you a few questions. You hit Submit. And then I get a form show up on my end, and we can do a Skype call or a phone call and just see if it's the right thing for you because uh, there is a, a thing about timing and making sure I've got the right people in the program because we are building love teams. Um, I can't have some of the wrong people who are not at the right place for this program, but I do have places for people to go if they're not right for this particular workshop. So there's, you know, if if it's not the right timing or if it's not the right, you know, if they've got some base to work on, then I would put somebody more towards authentic data. If they're just starting the personal development journey, that's the best place to start. But for this particular workshop, um, it's super easy to get started. And just send me that information, and then I personally actually make these calls back to people. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so funny, Steve. When you said I'm building love teams, all of a sudden I was thinking about your accountant going, how do I do that on tax season? He builds love teams. So those teams are, are kind of the accountant, the support and accountability <laughs> that we were talking about earlier is um, – your friends and family, they love you and they want you to be happy. So they're just going to tell you whatever you need to hear or whatever's going to make you happy. Um, they're not really going to be with you and, and on that same journey in the same boat as you are on your dating journey. So that's why I think it's important to have peers because all of us are students and all of us are teachers. I'm not this great guru just because I've spent 20-plus years in personal development always with an eye towards dating and always have known that I would turn this into material that is helping people date. Um, I bring lots of ideas, but a lot of the other people in the program bring a lot of good ideas and a lot of experience, and they all help each other. So there's, there's small teams that are kind of how you get started, and then there's a much bigger community that people become a part of once they're through their small group. Okay, so you spent, you're just sharing, you know, 20-plus years with an eye towards dating in the personal development world. What drew you in that direction? Um, I would definitely have to say my own experience, um, my own story, which I'm going to have to hone this down. It takes me too long to tell it, but I had my father left when I was very young, so I didn't have that male role model. So I really went out and sought them out, uh, both in my community, my church, and I had lots of male mentors, so it wasn't just one person. So I totally believe in seeking out the information you're looking for and adding that to your life from lots of different sources, lots of different experiences. 
then when I started dating, I was in college. I was very serious about my girlfriend that I had dated for, I guess, about four years, mostly through college. But we were friends for three years in high school before we ever dated. So, you know, imagine being 20, 21 years old and you've already, this has been like your best friend and girlfriend for almost seven years. And then having a very devastating experience after being promised to finding out that she's dating multiple people and didn't tell me. Mm. So for all those people who've been hurt out there, I have been there with you. And this is why I have such a passion for this is I don't want people to have this be part of their love life. And even if it has been before, it's fixable. And there are things you can do and other people to help you on that journey so you're not alone. Wow, that's so inspiring just to know that, for people to know that they're not a lone wolf in this process and that the heart, if it has been hurt in that way, can heal and that there is hope on the other side. And I think that so many of us, are looking and longing for that happily ever after. And, you know, even when we think that we found, I was talking to a kid the other day who's young, like 12, 13, somewhere in there, and he told me as a girlfriend in school, this girl that he likes, and he, but he doesn't talk to any of the other girls because, you know, that's his girl. And he's, like, set on that this is his girl, and he's 12. Yeah, that's that's a little scary and and that's also goes along with people who are getting married in their, you know, early 20s, 22, 23. Um there's scientific evidence that our frontal lobe, which is our judgment, is not fully formed until we are probably closer to 30. And so what I find, and this is a lot of my clients are in their you know early to mid forties, and they've been married for fifteen to sixteen, twenty years, and they're just done. They're a different person. They totally grew apart from the other person, and they got married when they were really young before they really figured out who they're going to be when they grow up. Twelve is way too early. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I love what you're saying, and and I'm sorry that your heart was broken or that anybody ever hurt you. And um, and I'm so honored and so pleased that you were able to take that and turn it into such wisdom and such abundant love that you're able to share it with people at the level that you're doing today. Thank you. It, it turned into fuel for a mission. Mm-hmm. And and that is something that I I really enjoy teaching people is whatever that pain is, whatever the heartache is, that is potentially your fuel if you can convert it. This is uh, something from Napoleon Hill. If you've read Think and Grow Rich, yes, it's there's a transmutation of energy you don't want to energy that you do want. The stronger the pain was, the stronger your potential love is. Mm-hmm. That's so great to know for so many people that are listening to this show that have been wounded in the heart, that have been hurt in the heart, that are wishing and wanting and dreaming of that other side of the fairy tale love. And even for those of you who are getting married now and you're just stepping into your happily ever after, I love the information Steve is sharing about being your authentic self. And allowing your heart to be open and allowing yourself to share things you've never shared and allowing yourself to stay in that honest place and really communicating and being with that person at such a heart-soul level that the relationship really can go deeper and flourish in a profoundly beautiful way. Absolutely. Wherever you are on that scale, from totally single to totally committed, uh, these skills are totally transferable. Um, especially if you're at the beginning of a lifelong relationship, it's that they call it a honeymoon for a reason. Uh, it's a high point, and some people would say, "Oh, it'll never get better than that." And I think it absolutely can. But the expectations and assumptions and judgment and fear that we bring in with us have got to go. 
we got to make room for curiosity and openness and just beauty. And whatever our old limitations were when we were single, we need to lovingly create the new ones and focus there, not on what we used to believe or the fears that we could bring in with us. they got to go. Just brilliant advice. And, Steve, how do people find you if they want to contact you through datingdifferently.com, or is there an email or a way just to be able to reach you for your one-on-one coaching or your programs? Sure. Mine's really easy. It's just steve at datingdifferently.com, and that goes directly to me, not to anyone else. That's perfect, because I know so many people out there, this is just such a great resource and the work you're doing is so brilliant and so loving and so right on the line and so I so appreciate you and your authentic self and taking the time out to be with us today and we only have a couple minutes left and so I wanted to ask you is there one key or secret or tool that you would leave with the audience in opening their heart or finding love well I probably have a whole lot of them, but (laughs) if I had to just pick one, I would say that if you want to be able to give unconditional love and really totally be free, then it comes with a price. All of your attachments. Mm. I love that. That's great. And when you talk about attachments, that's all of who you are? Well, I think it's um, habits and patterns that don't serve love and are not giving. Um, Being love is more important than being in love. So the practice, I think daily practice of meditation and intentions and really, you know, whatever your higher power is, Asking for that inspiration and for that kind of being going into a situation empty enough to be filled and to be be that love and be able to give it to other people and not be sitting back expecting it and you know where is what I expect until I get it I'm not going to be loving towards you it's you have to give first and you've got to be the love if you want to feel it. Wow, what a beautiful answer. And then I guess with that, can you define love? I mean, do you know what love is to you or what? I'm going to say if I'm absolutely just being myself and I'm not trying to fit into anyone else's picture of what they want or a persona that I've put on myself to impress anybody, if I'm just absolutely being myself fully, passionately, no apologies, no self-reproach, if I'm just being myself and I'm giving to other people, I, I really think that's what we're put on this earth to do. Every organized religion would tell you, you know, that love your neighbor as yourself. Well, love yourself first so that you can deliver on that second one. And being myself, which is the authenticity, as much as I possibly can and letting go of all the things that I think I need to impress other people with or other expectations that everyone has of me, if I'm just being myself as much as possible and I'm and the authenticity is just shining through me, I'm naturally attracting the right people and naturally repelling the wrong people. Mm. Now, what a genius answer. <laughs> what a beautiful way to wrap up this show. That was profound. Honestly, thank you. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> well, that will fill been, the golden been, chalice of anybody's life. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having That's me. Awesome. I just want to say that before we wrap up. Thank you for giving me the opportunity um, to spread that. Steve, it's such a pleasure having you here. You are such a gift. You really are. And you are just, your work is so spectacular. And so dating differently, I just, for all of you who are out there, and if you are in a relationship and you're not in flow, 
or you're not feeling worthy, or you're not in a place of self-love and acceptance and light and joy and happiness and euphoria and bliss and all those things we know love to be about. And as Steve was saying, just when you're present and you're loving others, that's the definition of love. When you're giving who you are to the world, you are in love. You are love. And so uh, thank you so much for sharing all of who you are with us today and for loving us so exquisitely. Well, thank you for your time and, and for the questions. Awesome questions. Um, I really feel like you brought out my mission. Thank you so much. Uh, my, my pleasure. And so for all of you out there, we wish you a wonderful Valentine's, whether you are searching for love, looking for love, whether you have love in your life, whether you've had love from multitudes of years, from whatever level, as Steve is saying, you indeed yourself are love. And so it should be the greatest Valentine's ever because love is deep within your heart and inside yourself. And so for Steve Zellers and myself, Nicole Brandon, from Hourglass Bride, we are wishing you the happily ever after. <laughs> 